Bring it in. Episode 41, Read Option. Uh, coming to you. Scotty Miller is with me today. No veto. He decided he's going to gallivant throughout all of the West Coast and go take a last-minute trip out to California. And so he's he's missing his Big Ten stuff today, Scotty. And I know you guys are both Big, big Ten guys. Shame. And, you know, that't what you get, man. You know, you can't can't have everything. There's always a sacrifice somewhere, but we'll get Scotty's take at least on Ohio State and Penn State on Thursday's pod. We'll probably lead the show with that because look, I mean, he's as diehard of a Penn State football fan as as they come. You're probably a close second as you are wearing a Penn State hat, a Penn State quarter zip, and have a Penn State flag going on in the background. Oh, and a Penn State t-shirt. <laughs> going underneath it. Penn State but, shorts too. I won't go there. <laughs> yeah, well, keep just keep the shorts on, and I think we'll. Uh, yeah, I think we'll, you got I think it. We'll be good. Um, Scotty, how are you doing, man? We had our fantasy draft last night. How are you feeling? Oh yeah, that was fun. Thanks for coming over and doing that. Um, it was nice to to have someone live drafting alongside me. So um, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know, we had a couple of guys in the Zoom. It was most of the East Coast guys. The West Coast guys were in the middle of the day doing their thing. But uh, nerds. But uh, just it was a really good draft, top to bottom. I think the, this is the most balance uh, on rosters from on each team that I've seen in a long time in fantasy football. So it, it really draft. is. It's a weird thing. So I was, and it, just so everyone knows, I know that talking about your own fantasy league is like the number one thing that people hate. So we're gonna do it because we love it and it's fun. Yeah. Um, but we're only gonna do a little bit about it. I was I had the highest grade. I got I had the number one grade for my draft out of the 12. I, I was I drafted last in the first round and still managed to get a good grade. I don't even love my team that much. I think I have a pretty good team. We'll, we'll see. I got the Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill stack in the, the first round. So we'll see how that whole thing kind of plays out. Um, but it is worth noting that Vito not only is missing this podcast because he decided to go out west, but instead, or in addition to I rather. He forgot that we had our draft yesterday and he didn't have his phone until I think round like 10. And so we, we talked about this when we were previewing the, the AFC. He was a big J.K. Dobbins guy. And we're going to do some NFL stuff to cap up the show today. But breaking news, J.K. Dobbins is done for the year with an ACL injury. He drafted the auto draft took him in like the seventh round and the following round. Autodraft drafted the Rams defense for him in the eighth round. So Vito's not going to like his team. By far the worst team as of right now on, on the roster, you know, in the league. Wow. So that's what you get, man. You know, you, you want to go live the life in Gallivant? Well, there's a price to pay. <laughs> we love our man Vito, and we're, we're pumped to have him I back think he's all right. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll live to see uh, another day, no doubt. But we are going to finally pay off on the Big Ten today. We're going to touch on some of the group of five teams as well. Scotty's fist pumping. He's, he's excited. Uh, oh, I'm so stoked for Saturday. It's exciting. But before we get into our preview, Scott, we had Big Ten action this weekend between Nebraska and Illinois. And so before we go through our previews, I want to actually do a little bit of football recap because football came. It was here. We had a full slate, well, an almost full slate. There was football going on all day on Saturday. We get football Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night this week. 
just an absolute bombardment of football here heading into week one. It's going to be super exciting. Ohio State and Minnesota playing on Thursday night. That's going to be a really fun game. Uh, PJ Fleck, yeah. row the boat, going up against Ryan Day's squad, get our first look at Ohio State. But go Gophers. What did you make of this Nebraska-Illinois game? Because going into the game, Scott Frost, his players, they were all saying that this is a must win. Week zero against yeah. Illinois is a must win. How far has this Nebraska program fallen considering where they were obviously in the 90s, but even since then? I mean, just to frame the question that way, like how high are the stakes for this program? Like they're used to being through the roof. Um, and then to to have that as when they were independents and then go to the Big 12, and now they're in the what I would argue is probably the second toughest conference uh, and at times the toughest conference in college football. So to have those expectations to, after you, what is this? They're like eighth year in the Big Ten now, something like that. Um, yeah. And they've gone through almost that many head coaches uh, before landing on Scott Frost. So it just, it, it, it's, it's hard to, to expect that much um, and put so much on, on a Nebraska legend uh, in, in Scott Frost. And then, you know, hope that it's going to turn around tomorrow. It's not like this is a tough, tough conference to recruit in. It's a tough conference to play in. Um, I, I still think they're, they're making strides, but they're still a few steps away. Um, Illinois, on the other hand, I, Brett Bielema was back. Brett I mean, Bielema. how about that? How awesome. Did you hear his quote afterwards? They were like, it seemed like you were getting pretty emotional there, Brett, after the game. And he said, yeah, I wasn't actually getting emotional. I was just sweating a lot. <laughs> oh man uh he's, that's a classic uh midwest guy uh, he's, he's a legend <laughs> he's a he's a big 10 guy through and through i think a lot of people think of brett bielema and they think of you know the arkansas uh, the arkansas stint right because that was kind of the last time we saw him but this is a guy who played at iowa he was an assistant coach at iowa under kirk ferentz which dates kirk ferentz even you know how long he's been around we'll get to the west in a little bit but I, I was really impressed with what I saw, especially considering that on the second drive, their starting quarterback goes down with it looked like a collarbone, the clavicle, uh, or a shoulder separation. They still haven't announced exactly what the injury was, but they won that game with a backup quarterback. This game yeah, was points was the just most it was the epitome of not only the Big Ten but college football too. The over under for total points was fifty two and a half. It ended at fifty two, and the Nebraska kicker missed an extra point, which would have given everybody the over. So immediately you come in with a bad beat in the first meaningful game of the college football season. So you love to see that. But the first point scored in Power 5 football this year was from a safety that came when a punt was going down. The, the return man for Nebraska caught it at the goal line, slipped, his knee touches down, but then he tried to throw the ball out of bounds. It was one of the most surreal, bizarre moments I've ever seen. And I, I was working and, and I came back and like right as I turned on the TV, I, I, it was like that punt was the first thing I saw. So it was like my introduction to like this is what college football in 2021 is going to look like. like. Sign me up. The game was bizarre. Uh, Nebraska looked like they were the better team in the first quarter. And then they had they had made a stop on third and long. And then there was. 30 yards worth of penalties. There was a targeting call. 
and a uh a, not unnecessary roughness what's the the celebration taunting rule oh, taunting yeah and so Please. it was it not only gave illinois a first down but it also gave him 30 yards on an interception there wasn't even a third down stop nebraska picked the ball off and so they took what should have been an interception and it ended up being a 30 yard and a first down penalty for illinois illinois goes down scores a touchdown on that drive and then nebraska looks like the uh, Adrian Martinez breaks off a 75-yard touchdown run out of nowhere from the quarterback, who he's a great athlete, but that play was crazy. Only for Nebraska to make a stop, get the ball back with like a minute left in the, the first half, Adrian Martinez fumbles, scoops, and scores, and you know Illinois from that point never really looked back. So this whole game was awful, but to the Scott Frost point, which is kind of where we started this, this is a problem, man. I mean, he is... They showed the three worst records in Nebraska head in football history from head coaches, and he's at number two right now. And yes, the Big Ten is a hard conference to play in, but they're playing in the West, which is way more uh, it's way more attainable to be a it's, you know it's you're more winnable. You yeah. yes, that's a good better word than I used. Like I would much rather be in the West if I'm trying to rebuild a program, but Nebraska is, is I think as we've realized is a hard job. You know, like. This isn't the days with Tommy Frazier playing quarterback or Scott Frost playing quarterback where yeah. the offensive line and the defensive line and the linebacker, everyone's on fucking steroids. And, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, this isn't that time anymore. And black shirts. Yeah. Yeah. And they still do the black shirts thing, but Scott Frost is in some trouble here, man. And I know it's week one, but going into it, when he says stuff like, this is a must win. And the players realize this is a must win because it's so important against to the a, culture against a team that was by all accounts and, and looking at it on paper, not great. Like, no, it's a team with that a won one quarterback. game last year. Yeah. They had the backup, backup quarterback, quarterback in coming, you know? And so, and honestly, uh, his name's Art Sitowski, which what a name for a football player, Sitowski, right? <laughs> like the first three letters of your last name is the word sit. But he came in and played great. Like he he was efficient with the football. Now, granted, he had played. He I think he had thirty six career starts somewhere in that ballpark um, at Rutgers. So it's a guy who has played a lot of college football. Like it's not a guy who who's inexperienced by any means. Um, but I thought he came in and played really really well. And I, I give more credit to Illinois for the way that they played than I say that you know Nebraska lost this game or anything else, but like Nebraska really didn't show up. And when you look at the big 10, there's a couple of these coaches, the Jim Harbaugh's right. And Scott Frost, these guys who are kind of the alma maters coming back where there's some question marks. And, and I think even to an extent, James Franklin, like I don't think James Franklin is, is in danger of losing his job, but we haven't really seen Penn state be that Rose bowl caliber team in a couple of years. And since Joe Moorhead left, I was talking about this on the pod last week uh, when I was doing the Pac-12 one. You know, Joe Moorhead is now the offensive coordinator at, at Oregon. Since Joe Moorhead left Happy Valley, that offense hasn't really looked the same. And so there's a few coaches in the Big Ten. While there are still some younger coaches I'm excited about, there are a couple of coaches who, you know, we haven't seen Jim Harbaugh or Scott Frost have the success that a guy like Pat Fitzgerald has had at Northwestern kind of going back to their alma mater. So Scott Frost has got to turn this around and turn around quick. It's a $20 million buyout for him to, you know, for Nebraska to move on from him, which I, 
I mean, that would just be a brutal loss because then you're, you're strapped on who you can go out and get. Matt Campbell's not going to want to go to Nebraska. You know, you're not going to pull in one of these young, exciting head coaches if you're paying $20 million to Scott Frost to not be your head coach. So Nebraska is kind of between a rock and a hard place. Um, all that being said, I do want to start our Big Ten breakdown preview-wise with the Big Ten East because the top of the Big Ten East is still – and in between the two sides, I do think the Big Ten East is the more premier division within that conference – uh, and it all starts with Ohio State at the top. Now, Ohio State played the national championship last year, got their doors blown off uh, by Alabama. And I, I often think about that national championship game, and I remember thinking at the time, but I, I think Ohio State had the score from the year before when they lost to, to Clemson in the college football playoff semifinals. They had it posted up on their you know wall. Like, they, they knew – very clearly, like we, like we wanted to beat Clemson. Beating Clemson to them seemed to be almost more important than winning the national championship. Even though, if you ask any of the players on it, or Ryan Day or anyone else, it's like, no, the goal is to win the national championship. But from a deep down emotional standpoint, I think beating Clemson mattered to them more. They lose Justin Fields, but they still have a sick wide receiving room. You know, centered by Chris Olave. You know, who right now do you think, I guess I should phrase it a little different, where do you think Ohio State stands coming off of a disappointing showing in the national championship game, but all in all, a really, really great season last year and kind of the first full year where it felt like this is Ryan Day's team. It's not Urban Meyer's team anymore. Last year felt like the separation year. So where does Ohio State stand? Uh, they're... I think one of the top teams in the country, it pains me dearly to say, um, but you know, it's a team that, that I don't think they've lost a game in the big 10 under Ryan day. Um, and so for, for him to take over and granted, they got a lot of, of, of talent that, that came over from urban Meyer, but for Ryan day to, to continue recruiting the way that he has, for example, um, is, is a huge testament to how good of a coach he is and the program that he's building. So, um, I mean, they, I think right now, looking at their team, they have legitimately three guys who could be, we could be talking about in New York in, uh, in December for the Heisman. Um, and two of them are wide receivers. So that ought to tell you. Like, do you have, um, do you have Chris Olave as the number one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, Chris Olave is, is a clear number one uh, in in my mind. I, I and look, he's he's one of the guys who I think has a legit shot at going to um, going to uh, New York in December for the Heisman as a Heisman finalist. Um, he's just so talented on on every facet of the game. He's a great route runner. He's got excellent hands. Um, he can do everything you you want. He can play out of the slot. He can burn you deep. Uh, he he does it all. Like he's a legitimate, like like all around great wide receiver. He's like Terry McLaurin esque, but I think even better talent wise. So, um, yeah, I, I I really I really like his game, um, and I just hope Penn State has the corners to defend him. Which I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think anyone in the country has the corners to defend these guys. <laughs> yeah, really? I mean, Chris Olave, in my opinion, is is the best returning wide receiver in the country. 
Um, we always see a freshman or two kind of break out or a redshirt freshman kind of break out. Uh, but on the opposite side, you know, there's Z wide receivers, Chris Olave. Their X is a guy named Garrett Wilson, who is a really talented guy, kind of in that same, not quite the same ballpark. He's got another year left. Um, but those are going to be your top two guys. And the, the third that I'm really, really excited about is Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, Marvin Harrison, the famous wide, uh, wide receiver for the Colts with Peyton Manning, his son is now playing at Ohio State, which I'm sure, Scotty, you and I both can agree that makes us feel old as hell. But, you know, Marvin yeah. Harrison Jr. was <laughs> was a top five ranked wide receiver coming out of uh, high school this year. So to put him in with Chris Olave, it, it gives you a lot to get excited about. Their offensive line, they're, uh, they arguably up there with Clemson and I think um, – Oregon as well. And you could obviously always throw Alabama, Texas A&M some, and Georgia, those three on this mix too. But Ohio State might have the best offensive line in, in football, in college football this year. I, I'm really excited. They lose Trey Sermon, so they're kind of workhorse running backs gone. But they have a good stable behind them. Look out for got Master Teague. Yeah. Still got Master Teague. Uh, they have a true freshman, Trayvon Henderson, who has gotten rave reviews in camp this summer. So I, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you in that Ohio State is the best team in the Big Ten. And you're not going to like this, Scotty, but I think there's a pretty big gap between the two. I think talent alone separates them. And the defense is where, I guess, if you're going to try to pick up concerns, well, you can look at the offensive side and say, look, C.J. Stroud never started a game, redshirt freshman. What are we going to see out of him? It was a quarterback battle between two highly touted prospects, two guys who can both run, who aren't Justin Fields running, but are at least you know highly talented guys. Both are young; they're going to learn. I still think we yeah. end up seeing CJ Stroud throughout the you know throughout the season. They also have Quinn Ewers, and I'm very curious to hear your your thoughts on this. And and I'll ask Vito about this on Thursday as well because I know he's been really invested in that whole Quinn Ewers saga saga as well. He finished enough high school classes. So he initially was supposed to be a senior in high school this year, but he took enough summer school classes so that way he could technically graduate and then go to college this fall. And the Texas state laws about name, image, and likeness for high school players prohibited high school athletes from profiting off of their name, image, and likeness if you are a you know student athlete, which is absurd because if you're a high school student and you were in a rock band at 17 that went viral and you could make a bunch of money from it. You'd be able to, but that's a conversation for another day. Quinn Ewers decides to forego his, his senior year reclassify to basically be a class of 2021 high school student. And now he's going, he is in camp. Like he's going to Ohio state. It would be unprecedented for someone who I don't even think he's 18 yet. He might've just turned 18 uh, to, be starting a game for a school, especially the caliber of Ohio state, mm -hmm. but he is one of the highest rated recruits we've had in recent history up there with the Justin Fields and the Trevor Lawrence and the Andrew Lux. Like he, he is of that caliber. So the quarterback position is going to be CJ Strouds for now, but do you think there's any chance we see Quinn Ewers at some point here in 2021? Um, I think, I think yes, if if it gets bad enough. Uh, Ryan Day's uh, a guy who likes to stick to his guns a little bit, 
in that regard. Um, but at the end of the day, he's going to do what's best for the team. So if, you know, they lose a, a close game to uh, in the, in the early part of the season, um, you know, like one, they shouldn't lose in the big 10 um, at all by any means, but uh, and the play from, from CJ shout is not great. I wouldn't be completely shocked if you see Quinn Ewers uh, in, in the next game, you know, um, it's, it really is CJ Stroud's job to lose though. Uh, yeah. And I can't imagine that, that with his talent, um, uh, that he'll be, he'll be out of the mix, uh, barring anything drastic. Like he's, he's Spencer Rattler esque. And I think I like Spencer Rattler, but I think he's a bit overrated. I think we we think of him and we think of him uh, of the past, you know, Oklahoma quarterbacks, Kyler, Baker, Jalen, and all those guys are playing in the NFL. Two of them went number one overall. Spencer Rattler doesn't have the arm that Kyler or Baker had for that matter. He doesn't have the mobility that Kyler or Jalen has. And I don't really think he's got the leadership aspect that Jalen has, which kind of made him a special player on, on their own, on his own. I just think we have an it's it's almost like how we think of Alabama as an entire team. It's like, oh, just next one in, you know, and I, I think Spencer Rattler is going to be really good. Don't get me wrong. I think he'll end up being one of the top guys in college. I just don't think he's as, quote unquote, special as a lot of people do. And I have C.J. Stroud in a very similar kind of mold. You know, he, he can run a little bit, but he's not a dynamic runner. He can throw it well. He doesn't have an insane arm. You know, he's just going to be good. You know, I think he's going to be better than your JT Barrett's as, in terms of being a quarterback, but he's not anything special. He's just a like all around, just like a solid, really good, like college quarterback. And we'll see how it goes out. But next year, like let's say CJ Stroud plays the whole year, make it a college football playoff, or even if they just win the Big Ten and have a couple of losses here or there or whatever. Next year is going to be really interesting because then it's going to be Quinn Ewers going up against CJ Stroud. And if CJ Stroud has a good year, Quinn Ewers is going to be like, yo, dude, I'm here. I've been here for a year. Like, let's get moving. Like, it's my time to shine. And Quinn Ewers is a special talent. So it's something to keep your eye on. But to what before we went on this little diatribe about quarterbacks, it was just important to hit the C.J. Stroud aspect of it. The defense is where you have to be concerned here. And not the D-line and not the linebackers, but the defensive back room is worrisome. One of the guys who was projected to be a like first round draft pick at defensive back Sean Wade had a bad season last year but from a lot of people I've talked to and if you go back and kind of watch the tape on it Sean Wade got put in a lot of tough situations where he had basically no help Jeff Akuda and all the other great defensive backs who were in the class before last year uh, all of them were gone so he didn't have somebody to – he was basically – they moved him from nickel to outside. They moved him all over. He was basically playing like three different positions. And he didn't have a great year. And he went from being a projected first-round draft pick to I think he went in like the fourth round. Scotty, is that right? It might have been – it might have even been six. Yeah, like he, I think he, it was – I think it was four. He had a like real – yeah, I was going to say, let's do a, a quick, you know, get stats and info to, to do it for us. Um he had a really steep drop off in his value. And now you're going to take him out of there to just this young group. And look, defensive back is one of those things where if you're young, you're freshman, you're playing, you're going up against really high caliber, you know, wide receivers, 
it's going to take some getting used to. And they were, they just weren't great. Um, last year, Ohio State ranked 11th in pass efficiency defense in the Big Ten. That's, that's saying something. So they can stop the run. Uh, they have great defensive interior guys, Haskell Garrett, Zach Harrison on the end. Um, but yeah, they two freshmen, huh? Yeah, but they, I mean, but they just do not have a great secondary. Is that the biggest hole that you are seeing right now as well? Do you think this defense takes any sort of step forward from what they were in 2021, which objectively well, um, was still a pretty good defense? I mean, they made it to the national championship game. They just weren't elite. Yeah, I, I think that was the one piece that they were missing um, was that coverage on the back because, I mean, look, looking at that game, Devontae Smith was burning him, Jalen Waddle burned him. Um, and it was like, first of all, those are two great receivers, but, um, you know. Well, Waddle tried hard, to play in to the stop national championship anyway. game, right? Like he tried to play and then right. he was still recovering from the ankle, but John Mechie had a pretty good yeah. game there too. Mechie had a great game, yeah. And then um, – I don't uh, like to, to me that was that was the biggest drop off from uh the previous year uh from 2019 was was their defensive backs because they were shutting folks down yeah. like I mean, I mean Jim was the number three overall pick yeah yeah so um so I I I think that's a big hole um they've always got defensive line depth they they've got the two great ends right now but then they have two five-star freshmen coming in and Jack Sawyer and uh and uh uh, what's the Simone kid? Uh, JT Tui, uh, Tui Molalu or something. I think it's that. I botched <laughs> the name. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, two five-star recruits there. But um, yeah, defensive ends, they they tend to to overplay um, at Ohio State because they have this reputation lately of, of cranking out great defensive backs. Um, and so the expectation is that you're going to be one of those guys that hits the NFL and not only hits the NFL, but probably gets drafted if you're in the in the ones and twos, even in that uh, in that defensive back room. So, um, uh, yeah, if they if if they can shore that up even a little bit, uh, I would be incredibly scared to uh, to be facing them at any point in the season. They should get better, right? Like they they should make some sort of marginal improvement, if nothing else, because they were so young there last year. And last year is kind of an anomaly too mm-hmm. of the season. I mean, it's always, there. There has to be a grain of salt that gets thrown onto everything you look at from twenty twenty. That's kind of been a theme of these college football previews. Has been like we can't read too much into the numbers, especially like out in the Pac twelve. You know, Washington winning the Pac twelve North, going three and one. They played four games. Like, how do we? How do we yeah. know? You know, how many times have we seen teams get off to a, a five and one start? only to finish, you know, seven and five, right? It happens far too often in college football. So all of this does have to get taken with a grain of salt. But the one guy you you hit directly on the head there, um, Jack Sawyer, right? And we're used to Ohio State having a Bosa to a Chase Young, and they didn't have one last year. Jack Sawyer is that guy. Jack Sawyer yeah. is the next Bosa, Chase Young, elite you know, top five pick kind of defensive end talent who's going in there. And their their defensive line coach is the best in college football. 
And that's not to take anything away from the guys that they produce under Nick Saban down there in Alabama and some of the other great schools in the SEC, like LSU. Yeah. Well, Larry Johnston, a but former the, Penn State coach, too. The development that Larry Johnson, the way he's able to develop these guys, right? You know, like, yeah, the Boses were good coming in, but he took guys who had raw talents and made them special with the way they use their hands, the way they can set the edge, the way that they have a whole, you know, the thing that made Chase Young so incredible was not only is he a physical freak, but he also had a pretty polished set of moves. You know, he wasn't just a pure bull rush. He wasn't just a pure speed edge guy. It's like he could do some things. The perfect example of that is Joey Bosa, who is still, even though in the NFL, is an undersized D line uh, defensive end. But he's just got so many bad. He's got a bag full of tricks, man. Like he just reaches in. He says, all right, you're going to hit me with a, you know, I'm trying to bull rush. You're going to hit. Boom. Here's my hands. You know, he, they just the chop. Everything that they can do from the edge is all taught at Ohio state and, and Larry Anderson's a huge piece of that. Um, speaking of Penn state, Scotty, get ready. That's where we're going next year. Cause the number oh one challenger to Ohio state, presumably will be Penn state. And they had a really underwhelming season last year, four and five. I don't think they're going to be great this year. I think they'll be pretty good, but Every time we talk about Penn State or Penn State comes up on this pod, what do I tell you, Scotty? I say take off the rose-colored glasses. I'm gonna, I, I want you to wear two or three pairs of rose-colored glasses. I want your full fan blowout. Why is Penn State not only going to win the Big Ten East, but win the Big Ten here in 2021? Uh, well, because Sean Clifford is better than um... – than he looked last year. Uh, Sean Clifford is one of the top quarterbacks uh, in the country. And even if he's not, we've got, uh, we've got two freshmen right behind him ready to take the reins and uh, beat the, uh, the snot out of Ohio state uh, in, uh, in uh, or, or, yeah, late October. Um, I, I just, this team has, has been building and building. It seems like for what, almost six years now. Um, uh, well, five years since 2016, when we when we started to to be on the come up, they've had a top five recruiting class each of the last three years. They're currently ranked number one overall in 2022 um, uh, recruits. So I, I I don't know if this is the year, but uh, hey, we're we're gonna do it, boys. The running back room is deep. We've got three deep. It was a shame that what happened to, to Journey Brown last year, but. Um, but we we are rolling deep with uh, with the likes of Noah Kane, and uh, he's coming back from injury. He he ended up out for the season after uh, after the first I think it was the first quarter, or if not the first drive last year against Indiana, where he got hurt. Um, so Noah Kane's back. Uh, um, uh, we've got we've got a, a loaded wide receiver room again. Um, uh, uh, Jahan Dotson leading the way. I'm just I'm stoked for this. Uh, the defensive line has got a couple of of, of transfers. Uh, still young. The big question always it seems like at Penn State is uh, what's the offensive line going to look like. Um, and uh, again, we had three guys that either three three or yeah, I think it was three that either went to the NFL um, uh, and made practice squads or, or they're they're still vying for a. Uh, for spots on a team. So uh, lo losing that has always been a problem. O-line depth has always been a, a problem at, at Penn State for as long as I can remember. Um, and uh, so that's the big question mark. The defensive backs, uh, 
have a lot of experience. Uh, you talk about the the youth that that Ohio State's going to bring in uh, on the defensive back unit. Penn State is is I don't want to say loaded, but uh, they they are they are experienced, if nothing else, at defensive back. So um, they also bring uh, in John Dixon, cornerback. John Dixon, yeah, corner. uh, transferring um, in, and they have Frisco's a true back. They, have, they have a true freshman uh, who was ranked very highly, Kalen King, as well, cornerback. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. So, let me let me. Let me put it to you this way, Scott. What needs to happen for Penn State to – if you don't think this is the year, then I won't phrase it this, this way, but for them to optimize and have the best potential season, right? Like when I was doing the JMU podcast and I would interview coaches and stuff, I would always ask this question. I said, what, what in your eyes is the – like you'll look back on the season and say it's a win. Right. Like we like we did the best possible outcome that we had. What needs to happen? What does that look like? I think it's taking care of business. Right. Um, so the last few years, I'm, I'm leaving out last year because that was a, an unmitigated disaster. Um, but uh, the last couple of, of seasons before that, 2018 and 2019, uh, it wasn't just that we lost to Ohio State. Um, it was we'd lose a close one down the in the fourth quarter to Michigan State or uh, or that game last year even against Indiana um, that was that was down to the wire or we in 2016 we lose the the game against um, the game against Pitt and that's what kind of screwed us out of the the national championship picture or we play a, a weird frisky game in, in September against like uh, Appalachian State a couple of years ago and almost it comes down to the wire and we win by what three. Um, Villanova, by the way, is uh, the team to look out for on our schedule this year in, in that regard. So um, it, it's taking care of business. Beat the teams you know you're better than. I don't care if it's on the road or home or, or what have you. Uh, largely, these have been on the road, but um, just take care of business. And you go into October undefeated uh, in what will probably be at that point a top five, top ten matchup at least against Ohio State, um, which – Seems like it should be the natural order of things, um, but um, just just take care of the games that you have to take care of. Don't don't look at yourself in the mirror and say, "Oh, I'm better than Purdue." Like we're going to go out there and smoke. No, that's how you lose games in the Big Ten, uh, especially on the road. So what on uh, the what on the of- field though? I mean, yeah. So like, obviously, you have to beat the teams that you, you know that are you're going to beat. But like, yeah, when when you're looking at Sean Clifford, when you're looking at the defense, like what do you see as things that like they need to do this in order to maximize their season when it comes to directly on the field play? Because, yes, you can't lose. You can't have an Iowa game, right? You can't have games where, you know, you are Purdue games. You can't you can't have those blowout losses. You can't lose by 40 to Ohio State. You know, you have to at least make that game competitive. So yeah. what, what is get, it directly on the field that you see that like, all right, Sean Clifford has to take the step. He has to throw for 4,000 yards. You know, what, what is that key spot on offense and or on defense? Um, so to me, uh, you nailed it the first, first time uh, is Sean Clifford taking that step because he's shown the talent before. Um, and I think he can show it again. Uh, another one, because, the big thing last year, and we all thought that it was the fact that he didn't have KJ Hamler anymore. He and KJ Hamler uh, went uh, played a lot together in, in in high school, and that was 
a sort of chemistry that that he didn't have with with any of the other wide receivers on the team. You have Jahan Dotson, who is like a legitimate dark horse candidate for uh, a Heisman, if not the best wide receiver award. Belinda and yeah. yeah, and is going to be a, a solid draft pick. A la like Chris Godwin, he's in that that range for me. Um, so use the weapons that you have. Um, the other thing that I can't stand that Franklin does is is a running back room by committee. Pick your guy. It's great to have depth, but pick your guy. Who's going to be the workhorse on your team, right? Then it's uh, then it becomes more more clear to how you're going to run your offense, especially with the new offensive coordinator in Mike Yersich. There's another key is the offense. Um, you know, uh, like learning how to uh, to be productive in his offense, and it's going to be interesting to see what Yersich brings to with yeah Texas with with Sam Ellinger and that offense was kind of uh, a little bit electric at times, but uh, you're such as a, a Pennsylvania guy. So expect a lot of, uh, of smash mouth football with him. Um, Similar skill some- sets too. Like in terms of like what Texas had with Ellinger with Sean Clifford, like I think they're pretty comparable quarterbacks in terms of your, your skill position guys, offensive line. Like I think the talent level of those Tom Herman, Texas teams that Mike Yersich, you know, coached at, it's pretty similar to what you see at Penn State, which is that when coached up the right way, it gives you a chance. Uh, I think a lot of this comes down to as well, and I don't mean to like kind of step over here. I just want to throw in my little two cents because you know Penn State way better than I do, and like I know them from a general perspective, and obviously I do my homework and I read up on them and I try to understand as much as I can. You you eat, sleep, and breathe this shit, right? Like it's it's your wheelhouse. James Franklin is a big part of this. And I like James Franklin a lot, but every close loss that Penn State has, whether it's to Michigan or Ohio State or an out-of-conference play, I always hear the same thing from Penn State fans, which is, God, James Franklin at the end of the game just doesn't – he just crumbles under the pressure in the last two minutes of games in the fourth quarter. Like, he, he made this mistake and that mistake. And, yes, they're fans. They're going to be pissed. They're not always going to be the most rational. And a lot of that stuff doesn't even fall on James Franklin directly – but a lot of his game management has been questioned over the years. And even in, in the biggest games, you know, like that Indiana game last year, you know, and that all at the end of the day, it all does stem from the top. Like when you're the head coach, you're the, basically a CEO of a Fortune 500 type company. Like that's how valuable teams like Penn State, Ohio State, all the, you know, the big time SEC schools like that is what you're taking on. I think James Franklin, I need to see some some self-awareness and James Franklin realize that he needs to do a better job with some things as well. The defense, we need to see it be better. Uh, they're, they're very thin on the defensive line, which is scary, but well, they have some, got some transfers. Yeah. They have a couple of transfers. Uh, Arnold was a big, a big, a big Do you know how to pronounce that? Close enough. Epiquetier. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, from uh, Temple. And, and Derek T- uh, Tangelo. So they got two transfers who uh, on the D-line who I think will help, but they basically lost four of their best defensive linemen last year, including a guy who went uh, – was Jonathan Owe early second Jason, round? Jason Owe. Jason Owe, sorry. Jason Adufa, Owe. I believe now. Yeah. Is was, given me. was he first round or sec- late second round? He was, or, or he was end of the first. End of the yeah. first. Where did he end up? He's like Baltimore? 31 or 32 with Baltimore. No, Bal- yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's right, because Baltimore traded in to, to get that first round pick. 
Um, so yeah, so Jason Owe is gone. So your elite level pass rusher, first round talent kind of guy. Miller, Shaka Tony. Yeah. And <laughs> you lose four starters from a, a, a pretty good, you know, front line last year. So we'll yeah. see how the defense looks. You always claim they're linebacker you. So we'll see, uh, you know, how oh, they yeah. kind of look at that position. The secondary should be good. But I'll be honest with you, Scott, especially when you look at the schedule. I'm still not super bullish that Penn State's going to be the second best team in the Big Ten East. Uh, you start on you start at Wisconsin, then you welcome, yeah. which is tough. I mean, going to Madison's a tough place to play. Then you uh, welcome in Ball State. Ball State's one of the better Group of Five teams. They're going to have a good year this year. And if they, this is the big thing here too. If they start thinking ahead, because week three they play Alabama or. Alabama. They play Auburn at home. Auburn. If, they, if they sleep on Ball State, Ball State's going to, you know, give them some stuff. And then week four, you brought up Villanova. I know Villanova very intimately from, from the football perspective because they're in the same conference as JMU. They're in the Colonial America, uh, a Colonial Athletic Association. So I am they, – they're a great, great program. I've interviewed their head coach before. Like Villanova – is not a FCS team that you think is going to be walk over. Now, Penn State should blow them out by 30. But they have Indiana the next week. So if they start looking at Indiana. Yeah. And then Iowa the week after that. <laughs> it's a gauntlet. I mean, I'm looking at their first six games. And I think it's realistic they go two and four in their first six games. Nah, it's six and oh, baby. It's possible. But I think Wisconsin is a revenge game. I think Wisconsin is going to be great. I think Indiana, Tom Allen. LEO, baby, love each other. I love Tom Allen. I'm a big Tom Allen, Indiana guy. And it's going to be a big year for them. But I also think Iowa could end up – I think Iowa or Wisconsin, one of those two teams is going to win the Big Ten West, and they have to play both of them within the first six weeks. And that's before you get to Ohio State, Maryland, Michigan, Rutgers, or Michigan State, in which all of that, like, they're probably not going to beat Ohio State. They have to play Illinois, who we just saw beat Nebraska. Maryland with Talia Tungabaloa to his younger brother and uh, Mike Loxley, who's done this last year. <laughs> and Mike, yeah, they, Mike Loxley's a really good head coach. Michigan, I know people are down on Jim Harbaugh, and I would pick Penn State to win that game, but it's a rivalry game, right? Anything can happen in that kind of a matchup. Rutgers, Greg Schiano, I'm not going to count them out. They damn near beat Michigan last year. So out of the second, you know, what, eight games out of that? I could see them going 500 too. So I wouldn't, I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I think that this team's closer to six and six based off the schedule primarily than they are to say 10 and two. Yeah. It's a tough schedule. I, it's what do you have them going? Than, what do you have them going yet? Like final record I, realistically nine and three. So who do you, three. I think if, there's there's one of those games in the middle that that, that they're gonna trip up. Um, so you, do you have them beating Wisconsin on Saturday? I do. Yeah, I do. You have them beating Ball um, State. I have them beating Ball State. I have them beating Auburn. I have them beating Villanova. So you think they go four and zero to start? Yeah, yeah. I think legit. I think either the Indiana or Iowa game ends up being the first loss, um, then Ohio State, and then one of the four against Maryland last four against uh, Maryland, Michigan, 
Rutgers and Michigan State. <clears throat> Maryland is, and Michigan State on the road is a good draw, and Michigan and Rutgers at home is is a lot better sounding than the other way. Um, yeah. But yeah. But Maryland, um, dude, don't sleep on that Maryland fan base, man. I mean, they have they have some burners there uh, down there in College Park, so it'll be interesting. All right, I need to cleanse myself of the Penn State talk. We you, want more, Scotty. We are not talking about Penn State anymore. Um, Scotty, you know how I am with Penn State. Objectively, as a fan, I don't like Penn State, but I have no problem looking at them objectively and just trying to be honest. I think they probably end up with eight wins. I think eight and four is realistic. Um, I just think it's a really hard schedule. I think it's a really hard schedule. I, Hey, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It will not be the first time. It definitely will be the last time. I'm just not a, I'm not a Sean Clifford believer. I'm not. I, I think he's, I think, he, I think he's a pretty good quarterback. I don't think he's good enough to win you more than nine games. So that's kind of why I have, I think eight and four. If things go really, really badly, six and six, but th- there's a lot of talent there. I just, I need to see James Franklin kind of be the next guy. All right. Uh, two teams here in the East. We're going to talk about kind of in depth and then we'll kind of briefly talk about the other two. Uh, Indiana is next on my list. They had the best season Honestly, the Hoosiers, one of the biggest surprises in college football last season. It Michael would be Penix f- was down. Michael Penix ends up getting hurt later in the season. If they finish in the top 25 this year, it'll be the first time that they went back-to-back top 25 since 1945. Mm. So this is a program known as a basketball school, but the football team – Tom Allen, LEO, love each other, everything they have there. There's a lot to like. The biggest question with them is how healthy is Michael Penix? Michael Penix Jr. was one of the most fun and likable quarterbacks, players in all of college football. His story, this team story, was one of the most likable and enjoyable. Ty Freifogel, one of the best wide receivers. He's in that top 10 conversation. He's not elite in terms of you know, the Chris Alave or Justin Ross and some of the other guys that are up there. But Ty Freifogel is probably going to be a top 10 wide receiver by season's end in college football. The biggest concern for them has to be Michael Penix. They return a lot of guys. They got a bunch of transfers after how well they played last year. Their defense is kind of where they're built on. They lost their defensive coordinator. I believe he's the head coach at Oh, it's, a, it's one of those Texas schools in the group of five, maybe like North Texas, like one of those. Um, but Tom Allen, we had him on. He came on for a half hour on our radio show, just kind of talked to the guys a couple of weeks ago. And Tom Allen was kind of very, he was very upfront with it. He's like, hey, you know, we, we're going to run the same defensive system because it's his system. Tom Allen is the head coach. He's a defensive guy. This is our defensive system. This is how we run it. I'm going to bring in a defensive coordinator and say, this is the defense you're running. Now go get creative with it. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how they progress or potentially regress with a new defensive coordinator. But Tom Allen's a defensive guy, so their defense is still going to be good. But if the offense can be what it was last year, if Penix comes back and is, is healthy, and I think he tore his ACL like week nine of last year, like around that time, let's say it was like end of October-ish early November, uh, if he, which look, it's still a quick turnaround, but nine, 10 months or so to recover from the torn ACL. I, I we're seeing Derek King do it. And he tore his ACL in 
December of last year. So we'll see how that all turns out. Where do you have Indiana here coming in off of their best season in the last what, 20, 30 years? Um, first of all, uh, Michael Penix was down before the ball crossed the plane, but no, he um, wasn't. yes, he was. Uh, so he is, he is the key. Uh, he's the key to, to this, uh, well-oiled machine that, that Tom Allen is, is, uh, is driving. Uh, but you, you, I think you said a lot <clears throat> in there when you said all the, the ifs, um, if Michael Penix is, is healthy and if, uh, if the defense uh, holds up like they did last year, and if Fry Fogel has a great year, all all that. This team is all those ifs are making this team way too trendy for me, way too trendy. And the we talked about the the Penn State schedule. Um, Indiana has to go to Iowa. They have to go to Penn State. They have to go to Michigan, and they also play Cincinnati in the preseason. Um, Cincinnati is probably the best of the, of the power five teams uh, that's out there. Um, and then they get Ohio state at home, but um, uh, that even that's late October. And I think that's the week before Ohio state plays, uh, plays Penn state. So um, um, I, I think they're a good team. I don't know that they take a, a next step to jump into the two slot in, uh, in the big 10 East. Um, I still have them in three, um, but <clears throat> again it's all the ifs that that's that's the big question mark and that's fair i mean that is fair right but i think the same thing can be said for a lot of teams in college football right i, th- I think there's a lot of teams in college football we could make the ifs about i like indiana i'll actually like their schedule a little bit better than penn state's yes iowa week one is tough penn state's also gonna have to play indiana cincinnati that is a really really tough game and again, it will if Cincinnati goes undefeated, just trying to make a bid to the playoff, like that's a game they have to have. You know, Cincinnati under Luke Fickle, they're going to be hungry, you know, hungry going after that game. And we'll talk about the group of five. Cincinnati is the best group of five team in the country going into this year. Going to Penn State will be tough, but they host Ohio State, which I actually think is somewhat winnable. You know, let's say going into that Ohio State game, they're five and one with a loss to Iowa yeah. or Cincinnati. And now and Ohio State team matchup. Ohio State's undefeated, you know, and they're going in week was that week seven, right? That seven, matchup, something like that, yeah. October twenty third. That's a game that I think Indiana can win because defensively, and that'll think, be game day probably, <laughs> probably. And and, Indi- and I think Indiana's defense is one that can actually slow down Ohio State. And Michael Penix, if he's any semblance of what we saw last year, could put up points against Ohio State, and then all of a sudden. They would be tied in the standings, but they would have the tiebreaker because they would have beaten Ohio State, and then Indiana's destiny is in their own hands. Like, how incredible of a storyline would that be? So I am I'm optimistic. I just believe in Tom Allen. I believe in the culture that he's, he's set there. And the last four games of the season, honestly, the last five games after Ohio State, are all very much winnable. I think Indiana would be favored in all five of those matchups. It's at Maryland at Michigan, at home against Rutgers, at home against Minnesota, and then at Purdue. I mean, their their Big Ten West schedule this year is Iowa, Purdue, and Minnesota. All three of those are winnable. I think Iowa's the toughest task, and we'll see on Saturday how Indi- you know, how Michael Penix looks, how this defense looks, because I think Iowa's going to be a sneaky team that could win the Big Ten West. 
So I'm excited for Indiana Hoosiers football. I'm just a big Tom Allen guy. I'm a believer in him. I think he's one of the most underrated head coaches in football, and we saw it last year. So I like Indiana. I think they're going to, I think they end up finishing second in the Big Ten East. That's kind of my prediction right now. Um, Last team I want to really get into here in the Big Ten East, which I don't want to get too much into it because really my only question here is about the head coach. And it's Michigan. All right. We're going into year number six of the Jim Harbaugh era. They went two and four last year. Damn near went one and five if they hadn't pulled off the overtime miracle against Rutgers. I don't really know how this team is going to be better outside of Jim Harbaugh completely overhauling his staff. So if you have anything football related that you want to bring up with, with Michigan, that's fine. My big thing here is, and I made this prediction on, on the radio a couple, couple weeks ago, I think this is Jim Harbaugh's last season as the head coach at Michigan. I don't think he gets fired. I think it's going to be a mutual parting of ways. And I think Michigan has a very underwhelming and disappointing season. What do you think about the Wolverines coming into 2021? Uh, I'm not ecstatic about them. Um, it just seems like same old, same old for the last seven years that Harbaugh has been there. Can't beat Ohio state, uh, a huge amount of turnover again on the coaching staff. He's got six new, uh, coaches on the staff. Uh, and like what I think is probably a mediocre, if not fourth, fourth, fifth best quarterback in the, in the big 10 East in, uh, in Cade McNamara. So, um, I'm I'm not thrilled. Uh, it's Harbaugh's on the eternal hot seat, and he's been for a while. Um, I think the only thing that really saves him is if he does get to the Ohio State game and wins. Like, I I, I don't see it. Like the the recruiting's tailed off in the in the past few years. They're not getting the talent that they used to get, um, even in Harbaugh's early years. And it's it's just like beating your head against a wall almost sometimes it's got to feel like if you're a Michigan fan, like why do we keep doing the same thing? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different, different results. results. So, yeah. Um, Harbaugh is like so, that girl that in every friend group that is like, or and guy, I shouldn't say girl, girl or guy in every friend group who like always has a, a significant other, right? It's like, Oh, I dated this person from two years. And then you're like broken up for like, a month and then you find another person and then you date that person for two years, but there's always a really short shelf life, right? Like you always end up getting like yeah. sick. You know what I mean? It's like, there's always like, and this is the one that's like lasted like six years and all of a sudden it's become like almost like a toxic relationship at this point. That being said, I do think Harbaugh's t- tenure at Michigan has become very underrated. Like I think he gets more heat than he probably deserves. The problem is, is the Michigan fans are like Penn State fans. They're like Ohio State fans and that they're literally insane people. And they like to have all these completely unrealistic expectations for what Harbaugh is, you know, or they get very insensitive about it and they snap at you and say, well, you know, the media just really hates Jim Harbaugh. They hate Michigan. They and it's and everyone thinks that the media hates him. And the reality is, it's like, no, you know, like the closest Michigan has been to the college football playoff is not. I mean, think about it this way. They've not been into a big 10 championship under Jim Harbaugh. I I honestly, I don't know who the last head coach was that Michigan played in the big 10 championship, but 
It never made it to the Big Ten championship game. Not under Harbaugh, no. No, they never have, period, point blank. They didn't used to have a Big Ten championship game until about, like, what, almost 12 years ago. They've never been to a a Big Ten championship. Well, there you go. I didn't know that. Thank you for educating me. Um, This is where, like, my not growing up a big college football fan kind of comes back to bite me in the ass sometimes because there's certain things history-wise that I just like, oh, yeah, there's always been a big – it's like, no, Jeff, use your head. Like, obviously, there hasn't been a Big Ten championship forever because the whole idea of divisions and everything didn't happen until conference or alignment when the Big Ten expanded and brought in more teams. Duh. All that being said, Jim Harbaugh is not taking them back to the Charles Woodson era at Michigan. He's not taking them back to – Not even Lloyd Carr. I mean, geez. Yeah, and – I think it's just, it's just time, you know, like, I think it's just, I think it's just time he's doing like the last ditch thing, like going back to the dating analogy. It's like when you're a dude and you know, you're in the doghouse and you make the last ditch effort and you book a nice vacation or you go out and you get flowers or like buy a bunch of presents for something and you bring it to, you know, your girl when she's mad and you come up from work, that's like him going out and hiring all these new assistant coaches. He's like, no, no, I can change. Look, I'll, I'll bring in a whole new staff. Like, I swear, I can change. We'll be good. Like, that's the sense I'm getting here. They have to play Washington week two. Washington's a really good team. And yeah. that, that's a game they could easily lose. Uh, Northern Illinois, FCS team, but a dangerous one. I don't think Michigan will lose that, but I wouldn't be surprised. Then they have Rutgers. Those first four games, they should be three and one. But after that, you have Wisconsin, Nebraska, which should be a win. Northwestern Both on the road, Northwestern, they have to play cross conference. And I don't think they win that game. Uh, Michigan state should be a win, but again, with Mel Tucker there, I'm not hundred percent confident on that, no. but, but then Halloween the, weekend, <laughs> listen to these last four games, hosting Michigan, uh, hosting in Indiana at L. Penn state L hosting Maryland could be an L, L. And then they host Ohio State, which is definitely going to be a loss. Hell. So, and the other thing too is like a lot of these decisions, like we have such a short term memory that if they go 0 and 4 in their last four games, it doesn't matter if they beat Washington week two. It's not going to matter if they beat Wisconsin in week five. It doesn't matter if they beat Northwestern in week seven. None of those wins will matter if they lose their last four games or even go one and three, at which point the fan base is going to be calling for his head on a stake. I think Michigan at best is, I don't say at best. I think realistically Michigan is six and six. Yeah. I, I think they could be. They could be worse. Truthfully. I've got them. I've got them. um, One, two, three, four. I got them fifth in the division behind Maryland. I think that's. I really do. Yeah. I have them losing. I have them losing six games. I think they go six and six. Okay. I think they lose to Washington. I think they lose to Wisconsin. I think they lose to Northwestern. I think they lose to Indiana, Penn State, and Ohio State. Now that, that would have them finishing at six and six. So, yeah, I just yeah. I don't know. If you're Michigan at this point, you can't keep losing to Ohio State. You can't keep going down this road. You just can't keep doing that. To your point, though, about you know being as as rabid as as um, you know. Penn State and Ohio State fans, as a Michigan fan, you have to look at this and say, look, we brought in Jim Harbaugh. Um, 
not only because he's one of us, but uh, because he's been proven to be a great coach at the next level. Um, we think he could be really, and at the college level for that matter at Stanford. Um, so we think he can bring all of that to the table here and bring Michigan back to where we were, um, you know, in the, in the glory days of, of big blue, Ooh, just I'm going to throw up saying that, but, um, the, the point being is that for the majority of, uh, of Harbaugh's tenure at Michigan, the conference has come down to, to three games. Yeah. Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan. And that's it. Yeah. But I think like, times I think so times those, are changing, at least in the exactly, short term. Yeah. Because exactly. like, I, so I don't now think those the, are going to be the, the three defining games anymore. But now that's what I mean is that now it's just that much harder because there's a little yeah. more parity in that division and across the Big Ten. So, you know, you should have should have hatched your chickens uh, when you had the opportunity and the recruits, but I, I agree. The short um, straws uh, is getting one, drawn there in Michigan, I think. One little fun thing to throw out here, hypothetically. If they move on from Jim Harbaugh here, keep an eye on a guy like Luke Fickle, who it would go against everything in his body. He is as Ohio State as Ohio State gets, was a former defensive coordinator there, has created a brilliant team in Cincinnati. But with all this realignment stuff, I don't know how much longer he's going to stay at Cincinnati. And it, it wouldn't be the first time that Ohio, that Michigan has hired an Ohio State guy to be their head coach, Bo Schembechler. I don't think it'll happen, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it did because, look, at the end of the day, Michigan is a really good job. There still is draw to that. And you put a guy like Luke Fickle in charge or Matt Campbell, if somehow they ended this year losing Jim Harbaugh, having a bad season, going six and six, moving on from Jim Harbaugh and bringing in Matt Campbell or Luke Fickle, I would count it as win because either one of those hires would do a lot for the program as a whole. All right. Last thing here on the big 10 East, cause we're running a bit long, but I think there was enough worth talking about there. The last three teams in the big 10 East pick one that you think is going to end up being the breakout team here of these three. If one of them will end up being it, Maryland, Rutgers, Michigan state. Who do you like? I think it's Maryland um, for now. Rutgers is building. And so they could be a little frisky in, in a couple of years here with Greg Schiano at the helm. Um, but I think it's Maryland. They proved a lot last year uh, to his brother. Uh, <laughs> that's a, a horrible way. He's a good quarterback in his own right. So, uh, um, Talia, but his, yeah, Talia, Talia. Tunga Bailoa. Yeah. He's, he's uh, gone. You can say it. Let me hear it. Uh, I'm so scared. <laughs> Talia Tunga Bailoa. There you go. Um, what are you scared? Of? You crushed it. Uh, oh, Jesus. I, I can't. Oh, it's too many vowels. Um, uh, but he, he had a great year last year. Um, an absolute game manager uh, in, in some of the bigger games that he played. I mean, he just took a, a what was a pretty decent Penn State defense and just demolished them single-handedly. He was running all over the field. He's making great throws. Um, their running game is better than a lot of people think, and they've got a great, great wide receiving core uh, as well. So um, Maryland can get a little frisky and put some points on the board, so watch out for them. I think they're the best of that that group of three for now. I agree. I, th I think they'll end up having the best record of the th of the three of them. Uh, they open with West Virginia, which can be a tough game, but then they play Mar uh, Illinois in week three. They're two out of conference games. 
uh, are outside of West Virginia, Howard, which is going to be a win, and Kent State. But then they play Iowa. They have Minnesota on the schedule. And the last team – no, that yeah, that's it as terms of Big Ten West teams. It's Illinois, Iowa, and Minnesota. One of those three really scares you. Minnesota has a chance to kind of bounce back. The team that I'm actually most excited to watch is Rutgers. I, I like. I actually do like what Mel Tucker is doing at Michigan State, but they have a tough schedule this year. They drew a really tough draw when it comes to who they're playing from the Big Ten West. And they played Miami, <laughs> uh, but they're at a conference. They're playing Temple Week One, which you know Temple can be frisky. Syracuse Week Two and Delaware, who is a really really good FCS program. They were one of the top five teams in the FCS last year. Danny Rocco has that team buzzing. Another CAA team that I know very well. Uh, but after that, they have to play Northwestern, Illinois, I, and Wisconsin. So despite the tough schedule, I do think that Rutgers will turn some heads. I don't think they're going to have a great record. They'll probably end up going like four and eight, maybe five and seven. You know, Temple should be a win. Syracuse could be a win. Delaware should be a win. And then after that, you know, Michigan State, Michigan, they probably split those. Illinois, they could win. And then Indiana, Penn State, and Maryland to close is going to be tough, but I could see them winning one of those three as well. So, uh, you know, a four to five, maybe four to six, really optimistic. But I just like what Greg Schiano is doing at Rutgers, and if anyone knows how to win there, it's him. Um, let's move to the Big Ten West. Slightly less exciting as a whole, just because the brands aren't as big, but number one, it's going to be Wisconsin. Graham Ertz coming in. Healthy wide receiving room. But again... You know, like, like so many of these teams in football, it all comes down to the quarterback position. It's the most important position in sports. The offensive line, it's a strength, right? That is what they do. It's what they build. It's what Paul Chris builds at Wisconsin. is great offensive yeah. lineman. But <laughs> they have not recovered since they've lost Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, and they usually come up with really great backs consistently. I mean, they had Jonathan Taylor. They had Melvin Gordon. They had Monty Ball. Uh, just a slew of great backs. Yeah, I mean, the running back room for Wisconsin has been historically their their bread and butter, but they just haven't had a guy to take over. You know, think of Melvin Gordon, think of Jonathan Taylor. Like you can go back and find tons of guys, like you were saying, but they also haven't really had a reliable quarterback in a while. Honestly, probably since what, Russell Wilson? Yeah, yeah, I'd say. Graham Mertz shows up week one of the Big Ten season last year and throws, what, four touchdowns, five touchdowns? I, for, I forget what the number was. He was spectacular in that first game. And after that, he had the COVID issue that sat him out the next week, and then they never really recovered from that. But Jim Leonard is is the best defensive, young defensive coordinator, I think, in, in college football. And he had opportunities to, to – interview for head coaching jobs and chose not to. So the defense, Jim Leonard coming back, he's going to be really good. They need to create more space or more, more pressure up front. They only had 11 sacks last year in total. It was a shortened season. So again, you take these stats with a grain of salt, but they limited teams to 17.4 points a game and only five. It's I'll round down, but it's 5.01 yards per play last fall. They bring back eight starters out of 11, the best linebacking core, best secondary unit, arguably in the Big Ten. 
I like Wisconsin to win the division, but I think they probably end up going like 10 and two. Where do you, where do you see the Badgers finishing up? Uh, well, they're going to lose the first game. So <clears throat> there's that. Uh, I, know, I, I don't know. Their, their line, uh, their defense uh, just in general is, is loaded. Uh, at least it looks loaded on paper. If you get the, the same Graham Mets um, that you, that you had in that week one, then I, I mean, it's tough to argue that that's not one of the better teams in college football, let alone in the, in the conference. Um, the running back room is a bit of a question mark, but, um, and their schedule, you know, is relatively favorable. You're going to find out pretty early whether or not they're, uh, they're any good. Their first um, four games are huge. Their oh, first yeah. four, I, I mean, they're, they're playing Penn state, Eastern Michigan, Notre Dame and Michigan. Yeah. You know, because if they go, if they get through that and end up four and zero, I'm going to tell you right now that Wisconsin's the real deal. Wisconsin not only could win the Big Ten West, but could win the Big Ten because that's yeah. four. That that I mean, the Eastern Michigan thing, I'm I'm less you know impressed by, but beating no, Penn but- State even at home, their Notre Dame's coming to them, Michigan's coming to them, so they get their first four games all at home, first five of six at home, but they have to play Army. Army's a really competitive team. They have to play Purdue, which. Since Jeff Brom had that one big year there, we haven't really seen it replicated. But again, last year was a weird year. So how much are you going to put into that? They play Iowa at home, which helps them out. They play Northwestern at home. And then they finish the season playing Nebraska at home and then on the road in Minnesota. Those first four games are going to be crucial to figuring out who Wisconsin is as a team. Yeah, and a lot of people have Notre Dame as a team that's sneaking into the playoff, potentially. Um, So I don't know. Like, look, if 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 Wisconsin goes into that that game against Penn State um, and is looking ahead even by two weeks because they know you know Penn State's probably going to finish two or three in their division so they won't see him in uh, in December uh, for the Big Ten championship game again uh, and then you know we don't need to worry about Eastern Michigan guess what you got a potential playoff team coming up week three and then I always say uh, and Jack Cohn. Halloween- Jack Cohn yeah. rivalry game, right? Revenge yeah. game for Jack Cohn was right. the starting quarterback of Wisconsin. Now is going to be right. the starting quarterback for Notre Dame. That's right. And then two weeks later, you got uh, the Brett Bielema Bowl, uh, yeah. Wisconsin and Illinois in Champaign. Um, I'll tell you this, though. This Wisconsin season, I think, will be make, make or break. Made or broken, I guess, would be the, the, the uh, grammatical way to say it. But their season's going to make or break on Halloween weekend. And Halloween weekend as a whole is going to be crazy. But that Iowa matchup is huge. I do think Wisconsin goes 10-2 and and wins the division. Do you have them or the team they're playing Halloween weekend winning the Big Ten West? Give me the Hawkeyes. Hawkeyes. Well, that's perfect because that's exactly where I want to go next because Iowa is the next best team here in the Big Ten West Kirk Ferentz can never be doubted. It's very similar to like Kyle Whittingham in, at Utah, right? We talk, I talked about this on Friday's pod. When it's one of those teams that like they'll have a really, really great team. They'll push for the playoff. They'll push to be one of the top 10 teams in the country. And then there's like a year or two that's kind of down. But it's never more than a year or two. There's, it's just a factory there. You know, it's very cyclical, right? You have your top tier teams that can recruit high guys every single year, 
But then that next step down are your Wisconsin's, your Iowa's, your Utah's teams that are very Miami's kind of in this boat as well. I think even Penn State to an extent has gone through phases like this where it's every couple of years you can never forget about them because they're always going to hop right back on top. I like Iowa a lot. They have the best offensive lineman, I think, in all of football in uh, Tyler Linderbaum, who is a uh, center, which it's rare for the best offensive lineman in the sport to be a center. But he is just that good. You like the Hawkeyes to win the Big Ten West. Why? I just – I never count out the talent on a college level that that Kirk France and, and his staff have, have been consistently recruiting to that school. Um, it's – and it, again, it comes down for me to that Halloween game, that Halloween weekend against Wisconsin. Um, that, that division – will literally come down to one game um, in my estimation. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a couple of other frisky teams in the Big Ten West maybe, but, um, but I was just always consistently good. And give me a team in the Big Ten who has the best offensive line. I'll take them 10 times out of 10 uh, because that is how you win a lot of college football games, especially in that conference. Um, and especially in the Big Ten West, where you get all those big boys. But we were talking about Wisconsin recruiting and their offensive line too. If I ever told you my theory about um, about how schools in the uh, in the western half of the Big Ten recruit out there on the uh, in the Midwest, like no. the deep Midwest, I think they just literally have people and get in cars and drive down uh, all the byways where <laughs> all the farms are and try to find the biggest largest dudes on farms that are are baling hay or uh or or working on the dairy farms and go hey you're a consider a future at wisconsin to play football <laughs> uh but uh that's that's usually how uh how i think they they go about that but uh to that point i think iowa uh iowa has a a, a good deal of depth on their offensive line uh and and again never count out kirk france Basically, you're saying they're just looking for a bunch of Lennies from of mice and men. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. They just you yeah. read you read of mice and men, right? Yeah. Yeah. You went to high school in America. That's like the book everyone has to read. Yeah, Lenny of of mice and men. You know, just a big lumbering kind of. I don't want to say dumb. That's unfair, but the character is. Um, look, I, I like Iowa a lot, but I always get a tough schedule, and that's the, my one pause with them. They host Indiana week one, and then they're on the road in Ames to take on Iowa State, which I'm really excited for that game. But yeah, I, you're super high on the, the Cyclones. Like, I'm very big on the Cyclones, man. I like them a lot. They get a little bit of a break, Kent State and Colorado State. But then it's Maryland, it's Penn State. They take on Purdue, Wisconsin, Northwestern. Uh, they avoid Ohio State, which is, which is great. Both them and Wisconsin both get to avoid Ohio State this year, which is huge. But – I just – I think they lose – I think they'd probably go one and one between Indiana and Ohio, Iowa State. But I really like Iowa. Like, I, I genuinely do. I'm just – I just think it's a tough schedule. I think it's a tough schedule. But if they are able to – let's say they do go 2-0 and o there, then all of a sudden we're talking about Iowa as a legitimate top-10 team. If they knock off Indiana and Iowa State, two top-15 teams within the first two weeks of the college football season – we're talking about Iowa as a legitimate top 10 team. And especially if they're able to beat like Penn state, Wisconsin, and then like you said, beat That's Wisconsin. Fun. Yeah. 
That's what I'm saying. Even if they go one and one in those first two, and it's they just beat tough to start Penn off State that and way. they beat Wisconsin, they're they're in good shape. Who is uh, of the teams remaining? Because for me, I know my answer, but I want to know for you of the teams remaining in the Big Ten West, which are uh, Minnesota, Northwestern, Nebraska, which we talked about. So I don't think it's going to be them. Purdue and then Illinois. What team of of that group of I guess four do you think has the best chance of maybe crashing the party? Uh, it's tough to count out Northwestern, being that they went to the uh, conference championship game last year, but then that was also twenty twenty. So uh, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm a big believer in uh, in Illinois making a run. Um, Illinois making a run under Brett Bielema. They might not have the talent on paper that that the even Minnesota or Purdue have. And Purdue, by the way, I, I love what they're doing at quarterback with Jack Plummer. Um, um, but uh, yeah, the great old quarterbacks, Purdue. How about that, Drew Brees? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, but no, I I I love the story. Uh, I really do. Uh, Brett Bielema yeah. back from the Big Ten where he belongs in his home state. Um, and, and in the Big Ten West, where he can compete against uh, the school he went to and the school he coached at for a long time. So uh, I, I like that. I like the story. So I like Illinois, too, but losing your starting quarterback probably for the year, even though Satowski could end up being a good, you know, you know, ancillary kind of player. I think it's Northwestern. Like, I think you were right with your first pick there. I, I just I trust Pat Fitzgerald. You know, they have the second nicest because i don't think anyone's better than oregon second nicest facilities in the country really they have invested so much in their facilities and player experience at northwestern and if look if there's one coach that i'm just buying in on in the big 10 it's it's pat fitzgerald it's so hard to look at what he's built there at a school like northwestern I mean, what Pat Fitzgerald has done at Northwestern is what I want to see Matt Campbell do at Iowa State. You know, like I want to see these guys who take these programs who are dirt. Same thing that Dabo did, not to the same extent, but similar to what Dabo did at Clemson. Like, I want to see coaches take over a program and then stay there. I mean, how many years has Pat Fitzgerald been there? 12? Oh, gosh. Long time. Oh, even more than that, I think. He's been there for so long. He's arguably one of the best players that ever went to Northwestern. They have a great alumni base. They have a great funding. They have a fan base that cares. And on top of it all, I think year in and year out, if there's one defense that I want to bet on in the the big 10, I mean, yes, you have to kind of say Ohio state because of the level of recruits they get, but Northwestern's right up there. Like, I don't think there's a huge gap on a, on a year in year out basis from Ohio state to Northwestern. It's a classic Big Ten defense. Oh, they're just fun. linebackers with no neck and like and defensive Hunter, line think, pressures. I think people are 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 sleeping on Hunter Johnson. I mean, Hunter Johnson was a, a five star recruit, went to Clemson, didn't get to see the field, and knew he wasn't going to see the field. Like a similar to like a Quinn Ewer situation because Trevor Lawrence had gotten there the year before and was just very much clearly the best guy. Redshirted his year, then transferred to, transferred to Northwestern. He still has another year of eligibility after this year. He was pretty good last year. He ended up beating out Ryan Helinski, both of which were top 100 recruits. They have a good quarterback. They have a good offensive line. Yes, they lost for Sean Slater, which hurts, but they have guys there who can fill in and play O-line. I'm high on Northwestern 
I think Northwestern finishes third in the comp and the division, but I think they win some games that, you know, they're quote unquote, not supposed to win. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, I like Brett Billima and I like Illinois. I just think they're another year away. I just, I think they're another year away from really making noise. I think you need typically two full years as a new head coach at a, at a school to get your guys in there. But it's undoubtable, you know, the culture, everything that's kind of coming out from Illinois, I just don't think they have quite the bodies to compare with anybody else in, in the Big Ten. Uh, Purdue is of note. I like Jeff Rom, but we need to see them kind of go back to the 2019 version of Purdue, the one that, you know, upset was Ohio State they beat, State, right? Yeah. yeah, and they like throttled Ohio State. Rondell Moore goes for like 200. We need to see a little more of that out of uh, Purdue before I can really fully buy into them. And Nebraska, I think, is just – I think Nebraska is just terrible. Um, honorable mention, yeah. though, Minnesota. But they're another team where it's just, like, kind of similar to Jeff Brom and, and Purdue. I need to see them be the 2019 – closer to yeah. the 2019 version of it than the 2020. And, again, yes, 2020 was a weird year, but I do think you have to make that distinction. All right. Long, long opening segment here talking about the Big Ten. But since we waited, we wanted to make sure we gave you everything we needed to uh, and everything that you needed to get ready for Big Ten football. So we're going to take a quick break, come back. We're going to hit on group of five football and a couple of the big schools there. We'll hit you with some quick hitters to get us out on a uh, Tuesday podcast here on the Read Options. We'll be right back in uh, just a sec. The group of five, still yet to have a group of five team make the college football playoff, but this year – is set up for us to actually have a chance to maybe if everything breaks right, it's a big maybe, but if everything breaks right, actually see a group of five team in the college football playoff. Scotty, we'll talk a little bit about some of the other teams, Army, UCF, Louisiana. We'll touch a little bit on Coastal Carolina, but primarily Cincinnati is the group of five team that needs to be talked about. Preseason, I believe number eight in the polls. Heading into week number one, they take on Miami of Ohio, September 4th, this weekend. I really like this Cincinnati team. All right, and on both sides of the ball, Desmond Ritter coming in, senior quarterback, has shown flashes of being one of the best quarterbacks. There are scouts who think he is the best quarterback in college football this year. He's got a great arm, good athlete. I don't know exactly what his comp would be, maybe a little bit closer to like he's like a watered down Trey Lance you know he's not quite the size that Trey Lance is but he has some of the similar attributes Desmond Ritter is going to be an awesome player to watch they have a tough schedule but if Cincinnati goes through the season undefeated and again other things would have to happen right like Iowa State and Oklahoma kind of cancel each other out maybe the winner of the Big Ten championship ends up having our Big 12 championship ends up having two losses, uh, a Pac-12 champion with two losses. Like we see them kind of do consistently. The Pac-12 loves to cannibalize themselves. And then, you know, if we have an undefeated Bama team, an undefeated Clemson team, right? Bama goes undefeated and Georgia loses to Bama in the SEC championship game. Georgia loses to Clemson in week one. There is a realistic path that Cincinnati could get into the college football playoff, primarily just because they will have some highly credible wins on their schedule. 
They play Indiana week number three. If Indiana ends up being a good team, that win's going to mean a lot. They play Notre Dame in week four. That win could be a lot. And they play UCF in week seven or week six. Sorry. They have it slightly staggered differently here on Google. Um, Temple's going to be a tough team. Navy's going to be a tough team. South Florida, uh, Tulsa, we've seen shine. Tulane has had some good teams in the past. SMU can put up a lot of points. If they get through that beginning gauntlet of Indiana, Notre Dame, and UCF within the first five weeks of the season, I think this is a team that could realistically end up playing for a national championship. Am I insane to suggest that a group of five team could somehow make the college football playoff as currently constructed? I think so with four. <clears throat> I think if it was even six, you might see that. Um, but I, I, I just don't see it with four. I think the, the schedules, particularly in the Big Ten um, and the SEC, like we talked about earlier, the schedules are just too loaded for teams that are going to be on the fringe, the Texas A&Ms, uh, the, the LSUs potentially, the, the uh, Iowas or Wisconsins or the Penn States of the world, whichever of those finishes second, Oregon, USC, uh, teams like that. Uh, there's too many of those that have loaded enough schedules that I, I think in a, in a group of four, uh, I don't see Cincinnati cracking that, although I do think that even an undefeated Cincinnati team could potentially beat any one of those uh, teams that I just mentioned in a, in a bowl game. I, I push back only in that, and this is the big difference between this year and other years. The preseason ranking, and this is something I've alluded to on other pods, so I'll take a moment to kind of explain it a little more. We put, like, people don't realize how much the preseason rankings affect who gets into the college football playoff. Things like Indiana, right? Let's say Indiana, preseason, top 12 team in the country. A win in week three will look awesome on their resume. But if Indiana falls off and ends up going eight and four, then that win doesn't seem as good as when, you know, Cincinnati maybe beats them in week number three. Preseason rankings don't mean anything. We haven't seen any of these teams play anybody. Media members aren't even allowed to go to practices and watch the scrimmages against their own guys. We don't know anything when it comes to these preseason rankings. It's 1,000% speculation. You're right. Penn State should be first. That being said, (laughs) Cincinnati getting the preseason top 10 pick is incredibly helpful for them because even though we shouldn't, value preseason rankings we do and so now cincinnati is going to be in a a spot to say hey we've been top 10 all year we're undefeated we beat notre dame we beat indiana we beat ucf three teams that could all be twice probably yeah Yeah, and then on top of it they're talking about the a the american you know conference championship if they beat if they beat ucf twice if they beat Indiana and they beat Notre Dame, that could be four top 25 wins and an undefeated season. Again, that's assuming they win all of their games, which is a relatively big assumption. But if it happens, there is no way you can leave Cincinnati out if there are multiple champions in other conferences who have more than one loss. 
There's no way you can leave them out because their resume as an undefeated conference champion with four top 25 wins, that will put them up there with Alabama who could be undefeated. I would put them up there with Clemson who could be undefeated. Like there's a legitimate case to be made that they would absolutely deserve a spot in the college football playoff. I'm not saying that they're going to get it. And I'm not saying that, you know, the, the, the doomsday scenario for Cincinnati would be Georgia loses week one to Clemson. Clemson goes undefeated. That's one spot. Georgia then runs the table, beats, say, a undefeated Alabama team in the SEC championship. And then you have a one-loss Georgia, who's the SEC champion, a previously thought of as undefeated Alabama team with one loss to Georgia in the SEC championship game. And you would think in most circumstances, both of those teams would get in. And then you would have to hope for Ohio State, Oklahoma, and then Oregon, USC, whoever ends up winning the Pac-12, all having multiple losses, which I don't think they would do. But an undefeated Cincinnati team with those wins, I think they have a realistic shot. Now, the thing that people don't always think about, right, like Cincinnati's defense. Cincinnati's defense would be a top five defense in not even top five, top three defense, and I think every single conference in America. They are ridiculous. Bruce Feldman does an article every single year before the season. It's his freaks column. And he literally just talks about, <clears throat> like, lists the biggest physical freaks in college football. Cincinnati has two guys on their starting defensive line on that list. They're deep, they're deep at cornerback. They return almost their entire offense and defense from last year's team. And they have a really, really good quarterback. There is a lot to love about Cincinnati. And I get that I might be bullish. But an undefeated season is very, very possible for Cincinnati. I think they end up losing one of the two games between Indiana and Notre Dame, and that will ultimately keep them out of the playoff. But they'll finish as a top seven team in the country. Yeah, I was. that's a great point because what I was going to – say too is that the the team that could throw a wrench in the whole thing is the team that they lost to in the uh in the peach bowl last year in a great game against georgia um and and you like you said a one loss georgia team throws a wrench into the whole thing because now you're talking about one loss georgia one loss alabama team um cincinnati's defense i wish they would have played a little better in the fourth quarter of that peach bowl because uh, now we're talking about probably a top five, six preseason team rather than a, a top eight, um, <clears throat> which would help their case even further down the line um, this year, especially if they have the, the kind of year that you think they're going to have. Um, I just, I, the American to me is always just so wide open, um, but they're, these teams have separated themselves, particularly UCF and, and Cincinnati. Um, but it just seems to me like a conference you never know. Um, there's, there's, you know, you talk about enough about the Indiana and Notre Dame games. Those would be huge wins, but like Tulsa is a, is a, a better team than a lot of people think. I think, um, SMU might, uh, mess around shout out to, uh, to Brian's, uh, Vito's friend, uh, uh, is in Calcaterra on the, on the SMU now. So I think uh, so, I think so. We're pulling for you to have a good game, buddy. Uh, just, just know that. Uh, but yeah, I, it just seems like anything could happen in the American. That's all I'm saying. Navy is not great, but they could screw around and win a game like that. Um, the triple option, man, it throws teams yeah. off. Like, yeah, 
Yeah. Ken was a Ken Niamatalolo head coach there yeah. at, uh, at, at Navy. Um, right. The one team in, in the, the conference though, that could throw the biggest wrench into it is UCF and their new head coach is Gus Malzahn who won a national championship at Auburn or was the offensive coordinator under uh, it, it was, Oh my God. Why can't I remember his name? Oh, this is the worst feeling. Scott, you're supposed to help me out here. Who was the head coach? Uh, I have his freaking phone number too. Oh my God. This is killing me. People on the listening right now are just like, you guys are assholes. Why can't I remember? Stats and info. Oh my God. I don't. Oh, this is literally making me. Gene Chizik. Gene Chizik. Yes. Thank you. Gene Chizik. God damn it. How did I not remember Gene Chizik's name? He was the head coach there with, with Cam Newton. When he stepped down, Gus Malzahn took over and has led to has led Auburn to many awesome seasons. And eventually, you know, Auburn fans, they were just getting sick and tired of watching Alabama win national championship after national championship. And they pushed him out. They pushed him out. In my opinion, slightly undeservedly so. And I think UCF had the head coaching hire of the offseason. Getting Gus Malzahn to UCF is phenomenal. They still have Dylan Gabriel, who is one of the best quarterbacks in the country last year. Statistically, they're going to put up a lot of points. And those matchups against Cincinnati, assuming that they played not on the regular season, but in a conference championship, will be absolutely spectacular. Uh, some of the other teams to kind of keep an eye on Houston, Dana Holgerson now in his third season at Houston, haven't really seen a whole lot out of him. There was a weird stuff when, when Derek King was the quarterback there, his exit was less than positive. We'll put it that way. But right now, Dana Holgerson, seven 13 through two seasons. But like I just said, head coaches, you have to give them two years to kind of cycle through and get their guys in. I would expect them to have a much better year this year. Uh, they so far in two seasons have gone seven and 13, but with Dana Holgerson, they're going to score a lot of points. They brought in a ton of transfers wide receiver kind of slash tight end guy in Seth green uh, offensive lineman depth, Jay uh, Jalen Irwin wide receiver, Kayshawn Carter wide receiver uh, and running back Tayshawn Henry they have lots of guys there that are excited uh, that that you should get excited about SMU. Greg uh, Calcaterra is going to SMU. I did confirm that. So shout out to Scotty for remembering that. And then the other, I guess, kind of two group of five teams, which are both independent teams that I think are worth bringing up. Yes, Army's going to be frisky. Again, triple option always kind of throws guys off. BYU, they lost Zach Wilson last year, but. I am a big fan of Kalani Sataki, the head coach there. He's been at BYU for a while now, 38 and 26 overall. If they are able to replace Zach Wilson adequately, they went 11 and one last season. And again, they barely lost that game against Coastal Carolina, which arguably was the best game in all of college football last year. BYU should be good. And the last team is the Liberty Flames. Hugh Freeze, his third season, he's only lost six games in three seasons. And the biggest part about Liberty is Malik Willis, who is, in my opinion, going to end up being a top five draft pick in the NFL next year. I think he's the most electric player in college football. 
he's the biggest physical freak that there is. The dude is built like a linebacker. If you see him in person, he literally looks like a linebacker. He's terrifying. Yeah, but he's so fast. It's un- like, it's it's unbelievable. It's like if Cam Newton ran like a four four, you know, and had yeah. a better arm like that. Like it's he's just not as tall as Cam. He's only about like six two, six three. But I mean, look at these numbers from Malik Willis. Right, led he led his team in rushing. In only 11 games, had 942 yard, 400, 944 yards rushing, threw for 2,200 yards, and had a combined 34 touchdowns in 11 games. Oh my god! That is well. He went off against Virginia Tech. I mean, went off that was against like Virginia the Tech. first or second game of the year, right? And lost late in November against uh, NC State. And if it wasn't for that, Liberty would have gone undefeated. So. Of those teams I just listed off, is there a team that gets you the most excited? So um, UCF, Houston, Army, BYU, I, I, Liberty. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to watching uh, to watching Malik Williams throw the ball and run the ball uh, because he was so fun to watch last year. And I don't know. It's I I love watching guys like that who just um, just shine on the football field. Uh, and their team elevates their play because of it. And that's a lot of what, what Liberty did last year. They ended up in the top 25 for a good deal of the year. Um, and I would expect a little bit of the same uh, this year. I think I think they find themselves in, in that spot again. Um, but uh, obviously the, uh, the Cincinnati and UCF uh, lead the pack there from a team standpoint, um, just because, you know, they have – up and down the most talent of, of all of those teams. Uh, they have the best coaching of all those teams. And, and I think they're going to end up playing each other twice, obviously so in the uh, once in the, in the conference and then once in the, in the championship game for that conference as well. So um, yeah, give me, a, give me a, some of the, those American teams to, to watch. Uh, it's a lot of fun football, high scoring. I'm with you. I think Liberty is going to be the most exciting team here solely because of Malik Willis. They have a very easy schedule, though, so they're not going to be some sort of threat for the college football playoff. They play Campbell and Troy and Old Dominion. They do play Syracuse in week four. UAB, who's another good group of five team. Uh, Louisiana Monroe, who is the one – them in Coastal Carolina, the other two top 25 group of five teams that we didn't talk about. Uh, Louisiana is going to be a really good team, but, you know, the group of five, I, they'll probably end up 10-2, and 11-1, and one, somewhere in that ballpark. UAB – team that's kind of built back from where they were. Liberty is going to turn some heads. All right. Liberty is going to be a, a dangerous, dangerous team. Now I, I thought Liberty. Oh, that's right. Liberty's playing Ole Miss uh, November 6th. Right. So I guess that's what week 10, that game is going to be really interesting. Uh, at least it's going to be their 10th game. It'll probably be closer to like week 11. I think that game is going to be like a nationally televised is Malik Willis as good as we actually think he is. Can he do it against a good sec team? And I think he's going to realize, cause I like Ole Miss a lot, but I think it's gonna be one of those games where we look at and go, damn, this dude's for real, but I'm excited to see what happens with BYU, how they bounce back after losing Zach Wilson. You know, is it going to be one of those things where they take a massive step back and they end up winning like, you know, maybe eight games, eight and four, somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. But storm and Mormons. 
the Storm and Mormons. And I also throw in UCF just because I'm really excited about Dylan Gabriel playing for Gus Malzahn and also Gus Malzahn getting a fresh start somewhere else at a school and a program that isn't afraid to invest money in. I mean, UCF is the biggest public university in the country in terms of student population. I think they have like 60,000 kids go to UCF on campus, Jeez. which is massive. So there is a lot of funding. There's a lot of, you know, a lot to love about what UCF can do. And now they have a head coach who has won a national championship as an offensive coordinator and has beaten Nick Saban in Alabama, right? Multiple times. He's, he's the only coach in college football who has multiple wins against Nick Saban other than Dabo Sweeney. So yeah. a lot of wild. things to love there. The group of five, I think, is always perpetually underrated. So just enjoy it. And again, keep an eye out for Billy Napier in uh, Louisiana. And keep an eye out there for Jamie Chadwell and Coastal Carolina because those are two teams yeah. that will be flirting around that top twenty-five. I think for sure. I think I think for the group of five, it was. I think they were always or building toward being really good, like having really good teams um, involved. But last year, with the amount of uh, Power Five conference games that either happened late or not at all, or what we got a, a great look at just the amount of talent. And uh, and great coaching that exists in the group of five. So uh, look, looking forward to seeing that again. Well, I am as well. And that's going to more or less conclude our, our college football preview here. Let me ask you this, Scotty. Who's, won- who's winning it all? Uh, it's so chalky. Oklahoma. Oklahoma? That's not chalky. I think it is. That's not chalky at all. Chalky would have been Alabama. Chalky would have been my answer, which is I think Clemson. I think yeah. we I think we see Clemson win the whole thing. See, I think, yeah, I think Clemson's in the playoff. I think Alabama, if the, even if they lose that game to to Georgia in the conference championship game, they're in the playoff. Um, I'm going to double down. I don't think I don't think Alabama makes the playoffs. I really I really don't. I'm I'm holding true to that. Dude, but that would be awesome. <laughs> old takes exposed. You've been warned. All right. Uh, quick break. We're going to come back, hit a little bit of NFL news. And one absolutely fascinating story and a massive blunder by ESPN that happened this weekend. And I cannot wait. Cannot wait to tell you guys the story of Bishop Sycamore. We'll be back in a sec. Time to wrap up the show with some NFL quick hits. I feel like that's been used so many times. we got to come up with a more creative name than quick hits. We'll, we'll figure out something. I mean, once we get into the regular season, like the predominant aspect of our show is going to be talking about the NFL, and we'll mix in college football. It's just basically just going to be football. It's going to be like an hour and a half of football every time. But Oh, no. Whatever know. shall we do? Yeah, right, as if there's not going to be enough to talk about. Carson Wentz kind of led the headlines today and not for a good reason. Uh, someone who has not been vaccinated tested positive Carson Wentz. And look, the Colts have gone through a bunch of hurdles. Obviously Carson had the foot injury and he had to get the surgery on it. And now he's got the COVID issue and his center who is vaccinated or who is unvaccinated as well is now missing two days of practice at least 
before he's allowed to come back. I think it might be closer to five. All in all here, this is not good. All right. And we've seen how strict the combined policy from the NFL and the NFLPA is regarding COVID and, and, and how you respond when testing positive. I'm not wishing ill will towards Carson Wentz. I hope he does well. I genuinely do. I love the guy rooted for him for years. But as a whole, we've seen several different circumstances, whether it was Cam Newton or Cole Beasley, and now Carson Wentz of players testing positive. Lamar Jackson's gotten tagged for it twice, once last year, and now once again this year, and he still isn't vaccinated. Yeah, Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is another one, right? I mean, and yeah. we've, and he's been very vocal about how he feels about, you know, getting vaccinated. At this point, I mean, how much of an effect do you think we see here from covid as a whole and how it's going to kind of play out. Like, I, I think like even when we were drafting a fantasy last night, like I was taking that into consideration. I thought Cole Beasley would have been a steal at certain parts in the draft. But I didn't want to take him. Yeah. Cause I just it, don't it's... trust that he's going to be on the field because he tests positive on a Thursday. He's out for Sunday and the story. Yeah. It, and that's an important consideration too. Um, you know, either you get the insurance in, or you, uh, or you just straight up avoid what could be a, a really good player. Um, no, nah, but look, the way everything was handled last year, I think they had to kind of put a hammer down this year in terms of how the, um, you know, the contact tracing and the, uh, uh, the response to a, a positive test, all that stuff has to come into consideration this year because um, it was so rampant. The yeah. problem is the problem is when you have people that we were talking about saying that be vocal about the fact that they're they're not willing to get vaccinated. I just as a human don't understand. I get that um, you know there are people uh, who play sports professionally who don't know what they're necessarily putting in their bodies, uh, and they don't want to take that risk, but. At some point, and I don't know at what point it is, what threshold needs to be reached for these players to be like, oh, shit, well, uh, maybe I should protect myself a little bit more um, and protect, you know, the league and, and the, the brotherhood of players that I'm playing with. Um, I just, again, it boils down to the, the human aspect for me. Like, I just don't get how you can put, it's not about yourself at a certain level, like, it, it's about everyone else around you too and everyone else that's around them. You're putting a whole lot more people in danger um, by, by not protecting yourself. So um, just, I, I don't get it. I'll get off my, my soapbox now. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I honestly do. Like I'm the same way and I don't mean to make this like a political thing. I just, I mean, that's part of it too. Like it's, it's not a political thing. It's, it's, this isn't political, you know, this is, this is just doing something that is basic common courtesy, honestly. And like it, it really bothered me. I don't know if you saw this by Isaiah McKenzie, who's another wide receiver on Buffalo. He tested, uh, or he got uh, not suspended. He got a fine along with Cole Beasley for violating COVID protocols by not wearing a mask. And 
he tweeted something out that was along the lines of like, yo, the NFL is like fucked up for doing this or something along those lines. And that kind of bothered me. And I was like, all right, dude, like whatever. Then after the fine got levied, he went and got his vaccine and posted on Instagram his vaccine card with the caption for the greater good. And it just pissed me off so much because it's like those you two things don't add up. Had <laughs> nothing to do with the greater good. You did it because you got fined. Don't tell me yeah. it's for the greater good. If it I'm was for the greater good, vaccine, you would have gotten so it I... done three months ago. Stop <laughs> it with that shit. Like you've already lost your credibility. People don't like you now. Like, and all you had to do was just get the freaking vaccine, which is scientifically proven to not only be safe to take and is now FDA approved, but also will protect the people around you and also will prevent you from fucking up your own team and ruining it for everybody else. And I get it. People are like, don't tell me what to do with my body. People, the fact that this has turned into like a freedom conversation is the stupidest thing of all time. It's like, you have to get a vaccine to do a shitload of stuff. You want to go to college? Guess what? You got to get a vaccine. You want to go do other things? You got to get a vaccine. All right. So I get it. People want to feel like they're in control of their lives and don't feel like the government has the right to tell you these things. All right. Well, people are dying still. And if you look at people who are in the hospital right now, 95% of people who are in the hospital from COVID from the Delta variant are people who are unvaccinated. So if you want proof that it works, it works. So just Hmm. get the vaccine. If you want to think about it from a football perspective, then do it for the sake of your team and your teammates. It's selfish. It's stupid. And the Cole Beasley's of the world are, are honestly doing nothing but making themselves look dumber and dumber by every single waking moment. And I've tried for a long time on this pod when we talk about COVID and stuff to be as unbiased and, and, and like to not let how I really feel. I'm, I'm just sick of it. Like Isaiah McKenzie was the thing that really pushed me over the, the edge. Where I was just like, this is the dumbest shit ever. And now Carson yeah. Wentz, who again is a guy I rooted for for a long time. You're hurting your team even more, dude. If you want to use whatever BS excuse you want, fine. But guess what? You're not going to be the starter there for a long term if you keep doing shit like this. You're just not. And he's, he's hurting your team too. Yeah. I, I mean, that's <laughs> – I couldn't care less about – if we get that draft pick, cool. If we don't, whatever. You know, I don't want Deshaun Watson. I don't want that dude on my team. So, I just – if yeah. we get the first round pick, cool, whatever. Like, I don't, I don't care. This is all so much bigger than football anyway. Oh, just yeah. Just get – the damn vaccine if for no other reason which is a stupid thing that i have to say because it, sh- it should just be because it's the right thing to do but if i have to preface it with this just do it to help your own damn team right be a team player but no cole beasley thinks he's smarter than scientists who you know study this their entire lives but if they try to criticize him about football you know what he would say you didn't play the game you wouldn't know so yeah, it's okay right. for him to Doesn't do it. Doesn't go both ways. But yeah. not the other side. Because Cole Beasley's yeah. a fucking idiot. Um, all right, rant over. Other NFL news before we get out of here. And again, I want to hit this, this insane story about Bishop Sycamore. J.K. Dobbins tore his ACL. He's done for the year. I felt horrible for him. There were a lot of people who were blaming the Ravens and, and John Harbaugh saying, how did you let this happen? How could you play him this much in the preseason? He played 23 snaps in total. Yeah. This was a freak incident. This has nothing to do with that. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always, it's always when it's a freak incident to a star player and it's like, you look at hindsight and it's like, yeah, duh. Of course you're saying that because he got hurt and he's a star player. It's like, you can't see any of that coming ever. Right. Mm -mm. So uh, if he hadn't gotten hurt and only played another 10 snaps and he then the narrative would be oh why did jk dobbins only play 33 snaps in the preseason he's gotta get cranked up and ready to go um what are you doing like come on you can't have it both ways i'm sorry no you're 100 percent right you're 100 percent right but look at the end of the day fans are i gotta be careful with this um pretty dumb <laughs> wow, you towed that line really well they're pretty dumb <laughs> Like, and I get it. Like when I'm sitting out on Sunday and watching the Eagles play, I'm one of the dumbest human beings alive. I go into full on Neanderthal mode, just put ball in square and smash guy in front, you know, like, or I think I'm smarter than like it's NFL not hard. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I all do that. But also yeah. the second the game ends, it's like I black out for three hours and then like I come back and then I'm like, Whoa, what just happened? Right. Like, I get it. Like, I know that feeling. The problem is, is we need to start getting better about separating this and like looking at just basic logic and basic numbers and basic understandings of like, look, freak, freak accidents happen in football. It sucks. It sucks so hard. I love JK Dobbins coming out of college. I violent sport, man. I mean, you know, I was a fantasy rider die with him for most of last season. You know, I, I drafted him pretty early. He sometimes yielded good results. Sometimes, sometimes he didn't. But even aside from that, like this is just this is a person, right? With a really serious injury, and his whole season is now over, and that's going to be a really tough injury to recover from. We've seen guys come back from ACLs quicker than we've ever seen, and we've seen it affect guys less than we've really seen in years past. The impact that it's going to have on the Ravens, I think, is going to be relatively big. I mean, they look they still have Lamar. But now it's going to be Gus Edwards as your as your number one running back there in wow. Baltimore. They're talking about Gurley. Todd Gurley really went out there to work out. Yeah. So they'll, they'll add somebody. I have no doubt, but it's just heartbreaking. It sucks to see Uh, the the other, I guess, major bit of news that happened since we last talked uh, was Gardner Minshew being traded to the Philadelphia Eagles for a sixth round pick Uh, as an Eagles fan. It doesn't change how I feel about the season at all. I'm, I'm happy. I mean, for the cost of it, the fact that they have two years of control and they only signed Joe Flacco to a one-year deal. So basically, you have a quality backup for two years. That's like $500,000 for both, you know, for each year. That's a steal for a guy who has 37 career touchdowns to 11 interceptions. It's a steal. He's not going to compete for a starting job. He's not going to take over Jalen's role. Jalen Hurts is the quarterback. And, you know, Ryan Clark, who... I used to like a lot and has frankly just gotten worse and worse the longer he's been at ESPN. And I'm not someone who criticizes media people that much. Like normally I respect people and appreciate it because I work with a lot of media people. And I think a lot of criticisms are unfair. I think Ryan, Ryan Clark has started to get more lazy with some of his general takes. Like when he's breaking down X's and O's, I think it's phenomenal. I love watching him break down DB play and defense stuff all the time. But Ryan Clark sent out a tweet that said like, man, the Eagles must really not like Jalen Hurts if they're going out and doing all this. Like they're just showing no faith at all in the guy. And it's like, have you watched Howie Rosen as a GM ever? 
He's been the GM for the Eagles for, I guess, in total, going back to when he was assistant and, like, the Andy Reid era pre-chip. Like, Howie Roseman has valued the quarterback position so hard forever. Yeah. Whether it was and, the Nick Foles, right? Like, you can go through and find examples where he always wants to have depth at that position. Exactly. Nothing to do with it. Nothing. It's about the it's about the depth. Like, would you rather have Gardner Minshew or Joe Flacco out on the field if Jalen Hurts gets hurt? Like, that's a no brainer to me. (laughs) Now, if you want to criticize the Eagles for signing Joe Flacco for you know two years, only one year guarantee, seven million dollars, sure, I'm with you there. But I don't think there's anything wrong with having. I mean, even before they got Minshew, they had Nick Mullins, who has started. A full yeah. he started like what 20 games in the NFL has ha- played a lot of NFL football. Like they already had three guys in the locker room. Gardner Minshew yeah. is just an upgrade for your backup. He's not taking Jalen Hurts' job. So it's just super lazy that narrative that's like, oh man, the Eagles and Gardner Minshew is going to take that job. No, he's not. Unless Jalen Hurts is really, really, really bad, which I don't think he will be. I think he'll be pretty good. I don't think he'll be amazing. I don't think he's going to be Russell Wilson or anything like that, but I think he'll be decent. I think he'll win a bunch of games. He's not taking over the job. Gardner Minshew's not taking over the job. So let's just put that to bed. I like the movie. Great mustache, though. Oh, <laughs> I, dude, the swaggiest quarterback room in the NFL. Jalen Hurts, his outfit game is on well, freaking point. I don't know. <laughs> dude, Joe Flacco takes a lot out of that. <laughs> yeah, but Joe Flacco's a handsome motherfucker. He's like the suave, like, just put on a tailored suit and it's like, yeah, all right, Joe Flacco, Joe Flacco looks pretty good. I saw, I saw a couple of pictures. Someone put together a picture of like all three of those guys. And I was like, they're all three very different types of swag, but they all, they all got some, some, some BDE right there. They all got a little bit of big dick energy. Um, all right. Last story here. I told you intentionally not to read this because I wanted your live reaction on the pod. So I'm mm-hmm. very excited for this. So ESPN, uh, are you familiar with the IMG Academy? Yes. Right. They are basically the number for those who don't know, like the number one high school, like their whole purpose is to take highly talented high school level athletes and get them ready to go to college. Right? Like Oak and, Hill was in basketball. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And IMG is like number one, top five in football. Always they have a really, really good basketball program too. Around this time of year, there are always high school football games that get aired on ESPN. So this weekend, IMG played a high school named Bishop Sycamore. The problem is Bishop Sycamore isn't a high school. It's not even a school. Bishop Sycamore is a team led by a gentleman by the name of Roy Johnson, who has multiple warrants out for his arrest for fraud who created a fake high school full of failed junior college players to compete against IMG Academy in order to try to steal money from ESPN through this TV deal. What? And, (laughs) dude, yes. I know it sounds, like, impossible. But when you look at these guys, like, not a single player on this high school team looks... Like he's a high school kid. Like they all look like they're in their like mid twenties. They all have beards and they actually aired the game on Sunday. And on top of it, this team actually played another game on Friday. 
So they played two games in less than three days. That should have been a red flag. <laughs> but no, but the so the company the ESPN basically outsources to hire these. Um, I'm trying to find the name of Paragon Marketing is the company that ESPN uses to book all their high school stuff. Didn't do enough background check onto whether the school existed, which means they couldn't have done anything. ESPN put out a statement. They said, we regret that this happened and have discussed it with Paragon, which secured the matchup and handles the majority of our high school event scheduling. They have ensured us that they will take steps to prevent this kind of situation from happening moving forward. What? (laughs) Right? Dude, how insane is this story? Talk of it. They could make like a heist movie out of this. It is <laughs> like stealing money from ESPN. That's insane. The worldwide and, leader. And they have a like grown ass men like going up against 16 to 18 year olds. Tell me they lost. Please tell me they lost. Mm-hmm. To IMG. Yeah, they lost. That's, uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> on Friday, they lost 19 to seven to a, a team outside of Pittsburgh. I'm trying to find the store, the score from the IMG game. But like how think about it. So they said like they're like, oh yeah, we did our due diligence. They're good. How? How does that get so how, through? How elaborate must this guy's plan have been? Absurdly elaborate. Because like there's so many turns that, that could go wrong. <laughs> I, I just I don't understand how this gets through without anybody being like, hey, should we check to make sure that this is a high school? No one goes, oh, I've like, never heard of Google Bishop the head Sycamore. coach. <laughs> yeah, and they said that there's a warrant out for him. How does that happen? Apparently, there was a GoFundMe campaign that was seeking $20,000 for Bishop Sycamore High School. Big red flag. <laughs> they posted this on, Go, at, on uh, GoFundMe. We are Bishop Sycamore, a new football program getting established in Columbus, Ohio. We play a national schedule, which is ranked fourth in the nation. We get, we have gathered young men. Actually, they it's we have gathered young men, which is terrible grammar, from all over the country in the pursuit of a similar goal. We currently need your assistant with helping these young men achieve their goals and inspire other young men to do the same. It takes a community to raise a child. Please be that community and help these young men. Please help us with funding team meals, travel expenses, and equipment costs. That means, like, how did IMG not realize it? Yeah. Like, like how when did you're IMG, doing your research yeah, like you're, you're scared. Think you're about playing. how many high school teams want to try to play IMG on the hopes of potentially getting on ESPN. How the hell did this fake high school get on? It, it is, it's one of the craziest stories I've ever, I've ever heard of. That's insane. Absolutely insane. Un, unbelievable. ESPN claims they sounded the alarm to Paragon weeks in advance when they couldn't learn anything about Bishop Sycamore's roster, depth chart, or even any general information about the school. Just trying to get information from programming. Uh, Can't figure out anything about these players. Bishop Sycamore <laughs> allegedly bailed on a conference call with ESPN days before the game, but before providing a fact sheet of information on Sunday, claiming multiple players had major D1 offers from power programs. 
Oh my like, God. They got so smoked, high... by the way. There's one highlight I'm seeing second quarter, seven minutes left in the second quarter, 30 to nothing. IMG Academy. Good for them. Unbelievable. I, just, I, I don't understand. Like, so particularly like a place like IMG, right? They got to know who's in the national scene, who's up and coming. And then for a school to, uh, this fake school to claim that they had the fourth highest uh, ranked schedule on a national basis was like, how is that not a, a, a something you look at and go, mm, but we've never heard of you. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Not only that. So one of my good, good friends and uh, one of our hosts, Tom Luganville, who's the head of recruiting at ESPN, he was on the call. And someone tagged him a tweet said someone let at Tom Luganville interview Bishop Sycamore's coach after the game to find out what went wrong here and to identify the D1 recruits. And Lugs responded, no kidding. Total scam. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Apparently Bishop Sycamore went 0-6 last year by – by cumulative scoring margin of 227 to 42, including the 56 to 6 loss to IMG. Wow. Oh my God. Wow. Un- unbelievable. That's insane. Unbelievable. That's the craziest story I've heard in my life. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you decided because you were like, wait, I want to read up on this. I was like, no, dude, you're good. I just I need your live reaction. <laughs> uh, that was right. nuts. That is all we have for the pod today. Thank you, Scotty, for for hopping on. Uh, pretty pretty long pod. No, these last few have been long, but once we get into football season, we'll be able to kind of get into more of a rhythm. And and look, with these previews and stuff, like it's important to kind of dive in and do it. And obviously, when you get stories like this, you just have to buy in. So, Scotty, thanks for hopping on, buddy. We'll be back yep. on Friday. Vito will be back on Friday, and we'll preview this week's college football matchups. Uh, get into a little NFL talk as well. So take care. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and we will talk to you guys then. Take it easy. We are. Not the Badgers. Penn State. <laughs>